0: Let's just take a moment to just uh, each of us open our heart to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Father, we open our heart to you. Anything that you want to speak this morning and continue to speak, God, we just open our heart to you. I got my haircut this week. If you don't recognize me, I'm Jesse. (laughs) My twice a year haircut, and it goes from short to long. (coughs) We've been working on a series called uh, Your Calling and Purpose, and uh, this will be the fourth and last message in that series. Next week, we'll uh, look at a Christmas theme. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about uh, stepping out in faith. We began this series. With Ephesians 2.10, and this has been uh, somewhat of our theme verse, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. That we are God's poetry, His masterpiece, His handiwork, as some translations put it. Uh, that is that... Um, Every of us, is, all of us are special, and we use that word special in a good way, not like you're special, you're special in a good way. And uh, all of us have purpose. There's not a single person in this room who doesn't have a purpose. Uh, There's not a single person in this room who has no meaning for their life, because God has shaped you and designed you, and He's got good things that He has planned for you to do, that you have a, a role to play in this world. There's an important piece of the puzzle that you play And the reason that you look a little bit different than everyone else is because there are things that God has called you to do that are different than perhaps everybody else. That we are different uh, for a purpose and different for a reason. Uh, We looked at the the idea of calling throughout the scripture. Uh, You can use calling or purpose or destiny or God's plan or however you want to use that word. That There's a calling on your life of salvation. uh, That God is calling Each and every person into a loving, beautiful, beautiful, deep, rich relationship with the God of this universe. That there's a calling on your life to be in relationship with God. And then there's a general calling that he has called us all just to to love and serve people. Uh, That when we run into people who are hurting and we see a need, uh, there's places that need uh, our input of love and input of, of service. And so we have this general calling. To love and serve people. And so even if you don't know like what your exact specific calling is or your specific destiny, that's okay. Because you know that uh, your general calling is to love and serve. And so we also talked about this idea of a specific calling. Uh, God has a call on your life in in a specific way. And it often has to do with the way you're shaped and gifted and the way you're unique. And that's your specific calling. And we spent some time talking about not uh, freaking out if you don't know what that calling is. Uh, Sometimes people can get really stressed out, like, you know, i got to find my destiny, or, you know, i got to find my calling, and and, and they get stressed out. Well, the reality is, most of of the time in the Bible, people did not have to find their calling. Most of the time, their calling actually found them. And so if you don't know what your specific calling is, just live out your general calling, love and serve people, and often as you're doing that, your specific calling will actually find you and grab you. And one of the ways that happens is, as we talked about in our third, uh, uh, second message, is the idea of a holy discontent, that God will uh, place a holy discontent on our, on our hearts. He, we will see something that we might get a little frustrated with or maybe even a little bit angry, but it's a holy thing. It's a holy discontent. And we defined it this way. It's an aspect of this broken world that when you see it, touch it, get near it, it grabs your heart. It is a heart's cry that matches God's heart cry that says things just shouldn't be this way. It is an issue that is calling you off the couch and into action. It is something that you just say, like uh, the kingdom needs to be involved in that and and it grabs your heart. And so we've been asking the question, if there's a tension in your heart between between what what is is what, what you see, see and what, what should be, be and could be. Is, is there an aspect, aspect of this world where you look at it and says, and you just say, you know, things should be better. Things could be that needs work. Does not necessarily mean we should jump right in and sell our house and move across the world to fix whatever issue that is. There is the idea of God's timing. And we talked about keeping in step with the spirit. That we don't want to go ahead of God. We don't want to be behind God. We want to keep in step with God the spirit. When God moves, we move. When he stops, we stop. As it says in Galatians 5, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. And this is where it's important that we are hearing God and listening to God and as we talked about last week the idea of listening for and looking for confirmation that we don't want to go ahead of God, we don't want to be behind God, we want to be keeping in step with the spirit. And we saw with Nehemiah, he's been our example that he received his holy discontent in, in the fall time, uh, but he didn't actually step out in action until the spring. He, he waits four months. For some people, like Moses, it was 40 years. Uh, for some times, it's, it's so maybe only an hour or two. But again, it could be quick, but it could be a long time, but you want to wait on God's timing. And we also spoke last week about the idea of confirmation, uh, that God asked Gideon to do something that looked impossible It it was very risky, and so Gideon asked for confirmation. God, is this really you? Uh, Because there is difference between a good idea and God's idea. And sometimes we might just have a great idea, but it's not God's idea. So uh, we want to make sure we have confirmation before we step out and do something risky. Uh, But the point today is, we see in Gideon's life and Nehemiah, that when God says it's time, they actually have to take a huge step of faith. They need to step into this great adventure. They actually need to say, you know, I'm going to step out and do what God is asking me to do, and most of the time, that's going to require a step of faith. It's going to require risk. It's going to require stepping out beyond your own abilities, and uh, we call these God-sized assignments, and, and 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 I kind of wrote it out this way, that God wants to partner with us in transforming this world. In this partnership, there are things we can do and things that only God can do. Therefore, from our natural perspective, it'll look risky and at times impossible. We will be required to take a step of faith beyond our own abilities and inadequacies. So God is is always wanting to partner with us because he's a relational God. When God wants to change something in, in this world, he'll find someone to work with him. And in that partnership, there there are stuff that we can do with our own abilities, and we have our own skills, and that'll be a part of it, but because we're partnering with God, God says, well, I want to do stuff that you can't do, and that's the impossible stuff. That's the stuff that we look at and go, that's not going to happen, but God says, well, I can make it happen, and I'm partnering with you. So whenever we have these God-sized assignments, there will always be stuff where we're like, God, if you don't come through, this is not going to work. Uh, God, this, this looks impossible what you're calling me to. I, I can't handle this. And God is saying, exactly. Because I'm partnering with you. There is some stuff you can handle, but there's also stuff that I'm going to handle because we're working together on this. And often when it comes to our specific calling, there will be things that are beyond our abilities that God is calling us calling us into. An example, a small example is in Matthew. Uh, this is Matthew 14 when Jesus is teaching this large crowd And and after a while, the disciples came to him, and said, "This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages, and and uh, they can buy themselves some food." And so, the disciples have like a, a bit of a holy discontent here. He sees this audience out there, and they see that they're hungry. It's been a very long teaching session with Jesus, and they're like, "This is not the way should." Should be. These people need to eat. That's their holy discontent. And, and so they have their idea. Well, I know how to fix this. Uh, Jesus, send the crowds away so they can go home into the villages and they can get food. That's the way to fix this issue. But often Jesus has a different plan. And uh, Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. So here's the God sized assignment they have a holy discontent. They have their plan, which they could manage, but Jesus says, no, that's not a good plan. Let me give you my plan, and his plan often is beyond our abilities. Disciples, you give them something to eat. And they said, well, we have uh, here only five loaves of bread and two fish. That's all we have. That's all my ability. That's all, that's, that's, that's all we can handle. That's not enough. This, that task you gave me is too big. It's impossible. That's what God-sized assignments often are. And Jesus is asking the disciples to take a step of faith, as they did, and as they did, Jesus takes the five loaves and two fish, and he multiplies it, and everybody is fed. The disciples did their part, five loaves, two fish, God did his part, he does the miracle, and the holy discontent is fixed. And this is the way it works. Uh, God will place something upon our hearts, and, uh, and often we're like, that's bigger than me, You know, I'm not skilled enough, I'm not good enough, I don't have the abilities to do that, but God says, that's okay, because I'm partnering with you in that task. Henry and Richard Blackaby, uh, they said this, and we read this last week as well. Some people believe God will never ask them to undertake anything that seems impossible. They believe God will never lead a church to attempt something they cannot afford, ask someone to do something outside their giftedness. Or lead someone to do something they are afraid of doing. Yet if people are going to see God at work, they must witness more than just sincere Christians doing the best they can. They must see God at work in Christian lives. And this is exactly what God is wanting to do. Uh, He'll be asking us to do things that are bigger than ourselves. And what we need to do is make sure we don't shrink back and shrink that down to something we can handle. Because if we only do what we can handle... We will never see the miraculous work of God. I mean, if you, you only, can only do in your life what you can do, uh, there's no room for miracle. There's no room for the miraculous. Um, you won't find yourself praying, God, if you don't come through, this is not going to work. I mean, all of us, at least at times in our life, should have things where we're, we're on our knees saying, God, if you don't come through, this is, I'm going to look silly. God, if you don't come through, this is going to be a disaster. Those are those God-sized assignments way to illustrate this, and um, I think we've used this example before of this this tightrope walker named Charles from the 1800. Uh, he, he was quite the tightrope walker, and he could walk across this rope. Uh, sometimes he'd string it across like the Niagara Gorge, you know, 160 feet in the air, and it'd be like over 1,000 feet long, and he would lie down on it, and he would, you know, do a somersault on it, and he would actually set up a, a table and a chair on it and drink wine and uh, he would actually bring it, carry a, a cook stove on his back and set it up and cook an omelet in the middle of his tightrope. He's quite, quite the guy. Um, there he is carrying his manager on the back, you know, uh, uh, all the way across. Uh, but there's one famous story about him where he would carry, uh, push a wheelbarrow across his tightrope and he'd go across and then he would throw a sack of potatoes in it and and go across and and as the legend goes, as he came across with his sack of potatoes in his, in, in his wheelbarrow, you know, the crowd's going, whoa, you're amazing. You know, they didn't have YouTube in those days, so this is like the amazing stuff they saw. Uh, they're like, wow, you are amazing. You're, you can do the impossible. And, and so he says, well, do you think I could carry a human being across this tightrope in this wheelbarrow? he just did a sack of potatoes and he set up his stove and his chair and and they're all like of course you can you're amazing you can do anything you could easily carry carry a human being across that tight rope in a wheelbarrow and then he says well since you all think i can do it who wants to get in right (laughs) and as far as the story goes not a single person got in you know the wheelbarrow of course but you know often that's you and me with god you know, we, we sing that song, you're the miracle worker, you're the way maker, <laughs> you know, God, you can do the impossible, God, you can work through pe- weak people, and you can do big things, and I believe that, and then God asks you to do something, hey, would you get in the wheelbarrow? And we're like, well, you know, that's bigger than me, that's, that's going to be impossible, I don't think I'm going to be able to handle that, sorry. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one who does that, I don't know, but... Uh, <laughs> But it's where we need to to learn that God is a miraculous working God, a miracle working God. He is the way maker, and God does does the impossible. And at times, he will ask us to do the impossible. So if we go back to Nehemiah's story, because we've been following his story, you remember he has this holy discontent about the state of Jerusalem. The people are uh, not doing well spiritually. They're not doing well physically and emotionally. Their their walls are torn down. Uh, They're being attacked by uh, outsiders. And Nehemiah says, this is not the way things should be. Uh, He's got this holy discontent, but he doesn't immediately go and move to Jerusalem. First of all, he takes time to pray and to see God's face about, you know, is this my specific calling? Uh, God, what's the right time? So he takes about four months from the time he gets his holy discontent before the time or he feels that it's God's timing, and now he's got to take a step of faith. He's got to step into something that, humanly speaking, would seem impossible, but because God is calling him to do it, he does it. And, um, and he's got to ask, do a big ask of the king of Persia, because he's just a wine bearer. He's like a servant to the king. And he's got to ask the king for supplies and leave, and you and, uh, just didn't do that back in those days. It says this, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, uh, which in that day was a very bad thing if you were sad in in, in, in in, in the king's presence, but I think this had to do with God's leading. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, "May the king live forever. Why should my face look not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire?" The king said to me, "What is it you want?" Now you see, here he is very much afraid. This is his step of faith. God lays this burden on his heart, and now he feels his time, and now he's got to take a step of faith and ask the king of Persia if he can actually leave his job for a little while and and, and get supplies. And this was a very scary thing. And we know this even just from archeology. span For instance, here is an uh, 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 ancient picture of someone standing before the Persian king, the same era of of, uh, Nehemiah. And I don't know if you can quite see it, but this guy talking to the king has his hand over his mouth. And uh, ancient historians historians say the reason that was is because the king was so powerful that you if you were someone who walked in you couldn't pollute the king's air so you had to hold your 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 hand in front of the king and so nehemiah just being a, a cupbearer, you know the guy who tastes the wine to make sure it's not poisoned so he would die first that's his job he's the, he's the servant needs to make this huge ask of this very powerful powerful king so he says he's very much afraid So the king asks, you know, uh, what's on your heart? And then it says this, then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. This is one of those really quick prayers. You have those when someone asks you a really hard question, you're like, God, help me. You know, one of those quick, quick prayers, that's what it was. And he answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him, him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters, so he's giving the king a job here, may I have letters to the governors of the uh, trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to uh, Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber, to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And, and it says this, because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. And this was a God thing. God was involved in the situation. Nehemiah did his part. He does the ask. God does his part. He provides a miraculous answer from from the king. And again, this is what it will look like for us. God will give us a task, and we will have our part, and then God will uh, do his part, uh, the miraculous part. The same picture for Moses. You remember, Moses has this holy discontent to free his people who are in slavery. He goes too quick. He goes ahead of God. God says, wait. He waits 40 years until God says it's actually time. And now that he's in step with the Spirit, God uh, presents him with his job. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites out of Egypt. So first of all you notice know, a partnership. God says I'm going to rescue them. And then God says Moses I'm sending you to go do it. It's a partnership. And this is the way God works in the world. God uses people to change this world and he will Use me and he will use you to take something that's not kingdom and not love and not beautiful. He will take you and me and he'll ask us to get involved. And often that's the scary part. Because Moses knows that this is an impossible task. He's just now like a shepherd in a foreign country and he's got to go back and ask the most powerful figure in the world if he could release all the slaves. Impossible. And Moses realizes it. He says, I'm not getting in the wheelbarrow. That's what he says. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue, and, you know, he gives all these excuses, and then then God gives him confirmation. You remember, he throws down the staff, and it turns into a a stick, but even with the confirmation, he still has to step out. Now, what if Moses said no? Like, he just said, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, I saw that confirmation, I'm just not going to do it. Imagine what Moses would have missed out on. And imagine what his people would have missed out on. I mean, imagine if Nehemiah said, you know, that's too scary. That's going to require too much faith. It's it's risking my life to go ask the king. I know you're asking me, God, but that's too scary. That's too big. I'm not going to do it. Imagine what Nehemiah would have missed out on. And I just wonder sometimes how much I've missed out on when I say, God, I'm not getting in the wheelbarrow. It's too big. Or how much you've missed out on. And it's those times when I have stepped out in faith, when I say, God, you better come through us. It's not gonna be, uh, you know, I better be hearing your voice right on this one. And, and, and this, in those moments that it's just like, oh God, you're so amazing. This is, this is, this is amazing, this is awesome. Those, those moments when we trust God in those difficult times. This takes courage. You know, another, some people say another way faith is spelt is R-I-S-K, risk. Joshua was another one, but God made this ask. He says, you know, I'm going to be with you, but I want you to take Moses' place, and I want you to lead the Israelites in as they go into the promised land. And, and he says this, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Have courage when God is placing something on your heart. You know what the most common commands in the Bible is actually to not be afraid and be courageous? More than like love people, more than pray, more than all these other commands that we think are really important is to do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Because God is with you and he is faithful and he is good and he can do the miraculous. Um, And so we need to make sure we allow God's presence to reign over our fears that if we're going to submit to someone, may that someone not be fear. May it be God. Uh, But this takes courage. Uh, I mean, every time God has asked me to take a step of faith, it has taken courage. And I'm sure everyone in this room would say the same thing, that when God asks a big ask, that it takes courage. And the mistake sometimes we make is, God, if you take all my fear away, then I'll do this. God, if you just remove all my fear, then I will step out. But courage is not the absence of fear, it is stepping out when you're afraid. I mean, if God took away all your fear, there would be no need for courage. It takes me no courage to eat a bowl of ice cream, like none, not at all. In fact, I'm running towards that bowl of ice cream because I'm not afraid of a bowl of ice cream. Now, if someone put a bowl of mushrooms in front of me, that would take a whole lot of courage for me to eat that bowl of mushrooms because I don't like mushrooms. I mean, I mean, it takes courage when we have to do something that we don't like or that we're afraid or that's risky. And yet, over and over and over and over and over, in the Bible, God says, "Take courage, don't be afraid, because those are the times when and like He's asking Peter, "Would you step out of the boat? Come out of the boat. Would you get in the wheelbarrow? Would you ask the king? Would you trust me in this?" Uh, I want to do something big in your life. Trust me in this. I want to partner with you. You have stuff you can do, but there's always stuff I'm going to do, and that's the miraculous, miraculous part. Paul Tripp said it this way. The kingdom of self is driven and shaped by all kinds of fears. Fear of man, fears of discomfort, fear of difficulty, fear of failure, fear of not getting my own way. The principle is this. If God doesn't own the fears of our hearts, he will not own the practical direction of our lives. Now, who is leading your life? Is it fear or is it God? And there are moments when I say, you know, like, yeah, I think fear is leading right now because sometimes we're afraid to step out. But, but if God is calling you to something that, that is going to change this world, that's going to make a kingdom impact, that, that you feel that God is in and you feel the timing is right, then take that step of faith and just see what God God will do in in your life. Now, I wanted to leave a bit of time today just for maybe some of you to share a story because it's one thing for us to read scripture, but it's another thing for us to say, you know, I had something like this in my life where I had to take a step of faith and I was afraid, but I did it, and here's what God did. Um, So, Or maybe this, what God-sized assignment has God been speaking to you about? Is there something that God is laying on your heart which, which is going to take a step of faith? Or maybe as an encouragement, um, is there something that God has asked you to do before where you've, you've had to take a step of faith, and you did it, and you saw God do the miraculous? It could be as small as even praying for somebody. It could be as a, maybe a bigger decision in your life. So I don't know if anybody wants to share. Yeah, Marina. Oh, maybe we'll use this mic here.
1: This is something that I actually did in a small way a number of years back before I came to to the Slocan Valley. I was renting a place in the commercial drive area of Vancouver and street kids found out where I was living and they came knocking on my door in the winter asking for a place to stay overnight because it was cold and we actually had snow that year in Vancouver. The most that I ever had at one time in my home was 20 street kids and their animals. And if I had food, we all had food. If I ran out, we ran out together. If they were there overnight, the night before the food bank, I would wake them all up and we'd all go together and get food from the food bank. I even put on a Christmas Eve dinner for those kids. I had 40 street kids come to my home for Christmas dinner And I had presents for every last one of them, including hand-crocheted hats for all of them that I'd made. At that time, God put on my heart the desire to have a home for street kids where they could stay full-time, long-term, where they'd be loved unconditionally. So many of the places in the greater Vancouver area have homes, but there are conditions on them staying there. I wanted a place where they could be loved unconditionally. Coming here, it felt like that whole dream was gone completely. But God put it back on my heart again last week, and I don't see personally how it's going to happen, but I know this is something God has not given up on. I know that there's kids in in this area that have nobody, that no one cares about them. They... They find places under <laughs> under bridges or wherever where they'll sleep at night. They don't have a place to live or sleep. And I have the sense that God is asking me to start taking steps to have a home for them. Like I said, I don't see how it's going to happen, but I feel that this is what God is calling me to.
0: Thanks, Marina.
2: I just want to share a few things here. I got um, I I don't know. You guys all know. Uh, some of you were here that I applied for YWAM. I just found out a couple of about the middle of this week that I got accepted for it. Um, so I applied for two schools. I applied for YWAM in Tasmania. Um, it wasn't God's plan for that one. I applied for YWAM in uh, three years ago for Medicine Hat, and I opted out to take this business that I got, that I'm in now. And, uh, well, I'm opting out to g- leave my business, to go to YWAM in March. And, uh, and I know that God's got a plan for me. I don't know what it is. I am just following it, um, following my heart. So I know firsthand when God speaks to me that I listen because if I don't listen, I end up doing a complete circle until I get back to where he's talked to me again. So, I'm listening, and uh, I know that he's got a huge plan for me, so I will be leaving. I'm gonna be leaving in March, but I will be back. Thanks. Yeah.
0: Thanks, Keith. I know that was a big step of faith for you to, to do that, yeah, for sure, yeah. Thanks, Heidi. Yeah, thank you.
2: Oh,
3: Bernie. Thanks, Jesse. Nice haircut, man. (laughs) Uh, I always, when I'm sitting here, so much stupid stuff goes through my head, man. (laughs) It's just like, you better shut up. (laughs) But when our friend here was talking in your life that's that's too too big for you. You gotta back up. You gotta back way up and take a different look at it. I learned that uh a few years ago. And uh I came to one of those uh paint nights there la I think it was last year. It was pretty fun. And uh uh I was a little bit overwhelmed. I don't know how to you know like I do those stick things, you know, like a if you make a cat, he's got eight legs and starts to look like a spider. <laughs> but anyway, <coughs> they said we could paint this picture that's that the instructor was painting, or we could go on the table and pick out a picture off off the table. They had all kinds of different ones, right? So I'm like, holy man, I got to get a real simple one, not like that guy. He he he's seen the bigger picture, so. <laughs> I looked over the table and I thought, you know what, here's my picture. It was a stump. <laughs> <laughs> now how can you go wrong? <laughs> and it's a beautiful stump. I painted it, man. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. All
0: right. <laughs> Sometimes it's a step of faith to paint a stump, now, uh, Bernie?